welcome back to a brand new episode of the Unbreakable You podcast. Now, if you tuned in last week, I know I mentioned that I was really struggling with a flu for a little bit and then I had a sinus cold. So last week was pretty rough for me. (laughs) But I am back to feeling 100% myself. My voice still sounds just a little weird, a little off, but I'm feeling back to my personal best, so that's always nice, and I'm just really excited to be feeling better this week. I really don't enjoy being sick, but who does? But I just find that If you're a person like myself and you don't get sick a lot, when you do get sick, it like really rocks your world. So anyways, that is what I was going through this past week. But like I said, I'm back to myself and I'm just so grateful. So for today's episode, we have an incredible guest joining us. A mutual friend actually put us in touch, and I'm just so grateful that she reached out to me so I could have Lena on the show. So Lena Salazar is a health coach, and she specializes in helping women gain sanity around food. So I knew you guys would absolutely love learning and hearing from Lena. So her and I have an amazing conversation today about, like I said, gaining sanity around food, but also gaining intuition around food and also awareness. Now, I'm huge on awareness. If you have taken my Unbreakable Babe course, you know that awareness or self-talk is the very first pillar that we address in that course. And just a heads up, you guys, if you have not taken my Unbreakable Babe course yet, hint, hint, and this is the first place I am dropping this news, but I will be releasing it once again. I will be opening up the doors for Unbreakable Babe very soon. So if you want to join me and be guided and supported and loved along your self-love journey and learn from me on how to cultivate true self-love within your life and amp up that self-awareness, that self-talk, and move into things like self-compassion and self-acceptance and really learn about what true self-care really looks like and feels like and how you can integrate that into your life. All of those things, that's what Unbreakable Babe is all about. So stay tuned. You guys will likely be the very first people that find out when doors are actually open. So I'm just telling you that now I will be opening up the doors shortly. So stay tuned for that. And I am actually recording this intro for you guys the day before this episode airs. 
So February 19th, it's Tuesday. If you're listening to this live, it's February 20th, Wednesday, new shows every Wednesday. But like I said, I am recording this intro on Tuesday, February 19th, and that means today's the full moon day. So happy full moon for those who also celebrate the full moon and the new moon. I always really look forward to the moons and their different phases and I just really love being aware of how my emotions and how I'm feeling and how all of it just affects me. So I just wanted to bring that up and let you know that it is the week of a full moon, right? So the full moon just took place yesterday, if you're listening to this on Wednesday. And in today's episode, Lena and I actually talk about meditation. And if you've been following along with me in this podcast, you'll know that every now and then I enjoy guiding you through a meditation. I absolutely love meditating. I do it every single day before I leave my bed and as I'm in bed before I actually fall asleep. So I do it a few times a day. I love meditating and I think it's a very powerful tool and practice as Lena also talks about in today's show. So when I have guided you through meditations in the past, I've received many comments and responses letting me know that you would like more of them. So why don't we do one today? I feel like with the full moon and everything, it's just kind of perfect timing. So if you will, if you can, if you are driving, come back to this intro of today's podcast so you can join us for the meditation afterwards. But if you are in... Maybe you're having like a really lovely, hot, steamy, sudsy bath right now. That sounds amazing. So if you're in the bathtub or if you are anywhere in your home, um, commuting, if you're not driving, if you can, just close your eyes and join me in this meditation. So let's just begin by closing our eyes and taking a few deep breaths just to quiet our minds and get into the space and ready for this meditation. And I'm just going to guide you and prompt you with things to picture and think about. And I would like you to begin by picturing the color of light that you would imagine love to be. So when you think of love, what color comes to mind? It might be a bright white light, might be a warm yellow or a warm pink, whatever comes to your mind. Whatever you picture the color of love being, 
start to visualize that and just focus on that color. And then slowly imagine what you're seeing love to be like. Whatever color you're imagining love to be like, just imagine it's slowly turning into and transforming into a stream. The stream is the color of love that you imagine, and it's just a stream flowing, flowing stream of water, the color of love. And then imagine this stream is pouring onto you, and you're just getting filled up with that vibration and that color of love. And just continue to imagine that love stream just pouring into you. Just take note how it feels. And how it feels within your body to be filled up with this love stream. And just take a few deep breaths. Continue to breathe deeply as you just imagine being filled up with this love-filled light stream. And you can continue with this meditation as long as you want. But we'll just wrap it up to get into today's show. You can come back to this meditation whenever you need and pause it and just stay there for as long as you need. I really like that one. I came up with it today, actually. And I hope you enjoy it, too. So please just be filled with love today. Go out with love and let's get on with today's show with Lena. Hey, Lena. Welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you on with me today. Hi, Meg. Likewise, I'm very excited and thank you so much for having me. Of course. So you and I were actually put in touch from a mutual friend of ours, Kara. We love Kara, obviously. So before we actually started recording today's episode, you and I just had a few minutes to chat, but I am so excited to get to know you even better and share you with our listeners today. So would you like to introduce yourself to everyone who's listening? Of course. Thank you. Uh, my name is Lina Salazar. Uh, hello, everyone. I am originally from Colombia, but I have been in the U.S. since 2010. So wow, it's crazy. Time flies. And um, I transitioned from a long career in international development to becoming certified as a health coach. And what I do now, inspired by my own experience of recovery, is working with women who feel crazy around food and want to find sanity around food. So that's what I do now. I'm based in Washington, D.C., and uh, but I work with women, you know, all over the place, including Colombia and, you know, the rest of Latin America. Well, that is amazing. And you know how I feel about that topic and the women yes. that you are helping. There are just 
so many women who do feel crazy around food and who are looking for sanity when it comes to their relationship with food. So I'm assuming that, and I know a little bit about you, but I... I'm assuming and slash I know that you have your own relationship and battles with food, which is why you specialize in this area with women today. So would you mind just sharing that background with us? Yeah, yeah, sure. I am now I am I'm pretty open about it and I'm, I feel comfortable, right? It used to be like this weird thing about sharing my my own personal story. It seemed very private and intimate, but so I, I started struggling with food. I mean, I, I remember my the first time I binged ate and and let's say uh, went to the bathroom afterwards. And it was when I was around twelve years old. And uh, and since that moment, I started this fight with my body and with food because I loved food, but at the same time, I hated what food did to me. Right? Because I I was I didn't have control over it. I wanted to eat a lot of it. And, and I had this idea that I was, I had a tendency to be fat. And I had these ideas, of course, that I learned from society, my family, that I was too short and that my that I didn't have a waist and that my torso was this way or this other way. Right. So so of course it was this battle of this thing that I wanted to do, but at the same time, it's like, well, they will make me look in ways that are not allowed, let's say. So so that developed into an eating disorder. Um, I, I, you know, I had many therapists, nutritionists, psychologists, support groups. I even, my parents even took me to a Shaolin monk once because they wanted to help me. And the good thing is that I wanted help, but I just, I was too young, I guess. And I just didn't know what the answer was. And uh, I left Colombia. So let's say that I struggled with that for many, many years. And I left Colombia to study in France for a year. And that's when I first hit bottom because I hit bottom several times. That's when I first hit bottom, and I think the fact that I was alone, you know, I didn't have that support network, my parents, my family didn't help, or help, let's say, in hindsight, it was like a blessing that that happened. And, uh, and I started realizing that this was a serious problem, and that it needed, I needed to find a solution for it. I remember that was the first time that I that I, I heard someone mentioning food addictions, and I, you know, Googled food addiction, and it was like a checklist, and that was the first time that I was... Like, wow, maybe I do have this obsession for food. Not only, not only I throw up and I have like a diagnosed bulimia, but I, I'm, I also have this obsession. It may be like a food addiction. I don't know. I just started discovering these new words, right? These new lexicon of, of this world about food issues. He bought me in Paris, then I moved to New York. He bought me in New York again. And it was finally in, when I arrived in DC in 2012, that I realized that these issues were impacting other aspects of my life. Uh, or or I, I finally opened my eyes because they had been doing that for years, right? But it was like my relationship with men. I couldn't understand why I couldn't have a normal relationship with a guy. Or like relationships at work, why I was so reactive. I wasn't bittered all the time. And I knew that if I didn't solve this problem, I wouldn't be able to make my life like a happy life. I wouldn't be able to do that. So let's say that at that moment was when I decided that my desire for feeling sane, because it was no longer the body and it was more sanity. Like I didn't want to feel this noise and craziness in my head anymore. 
my desire for that sanity was stronger than my desire for to control my body. And that's, it was like a turning point. And that is when I started this committed, focused work on finding recovery. And this is where I am now. And I'm happy and life is unmanageable, I'm sorry, manageable and fine. And sometimes it's stressful, but it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it definitely is stressful for sure. I mean, coming from another, like a fellow eating disorder survivor, it can definitely be stressful, but we overcame something that robs many people of their actual lives. I know it robbed us years of our lives, but we have overcome something so, so difficult. So I think it is very important that you do share that story. So I know you said that for you, it's been like a very intimate thing that you had a hard time sharing before. But I thank you for sharing that with me. And I, I just couldn't help but feel very um, into your story because I completely resonated with it um, when you were talking about how you came to a point where your sanity was more important than what your body looked like. And I came to that point back in 2013, it was, when I just wanted to be happy. That's yeah, all. It all comes down to that. Yeah. Yeah. So from that turning point, can you share with us some of the things that you started to do to actually pull yourself out of that rock bottom and kind of start turning your life around, really? So <clears throat> the, the, the fact that what we were talking about, that turning point, it's important to highlight because I do believe that it's, it is important to surrender, right? And to give up. Let's say like, God, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot do this. You have to want that. You have to want change. Otherwise, this, this work doesn't work. As simple as that. You have to start there. And when I did that, I was like, okay, I'll look for another therapist. I tried many, many therapists, but this one, she's in, she's based in Colombia. She was an addict herself, in, like recovered addict, and she was an expert in addictions. And it, her name is Eva. And I can say that my life is before and after Eva, as simple as that. Wow. Because she, we started, you know, um, she was the one that suggested many things. One thing was you have to stop eating this food that is triggering for you. It seems like every time you eat this food, you you go crazy. So how about you stop eating that? And I'm like, no one has ever had ever said that to me before. And I was like, mm, that's, I, that sounds too much, but okay, I'll give it a try. And then I started going to OA, Overeaters Anonymous. Uh, and let's say that from these two things, I, my, I, I start seeing like changes and it's, it's like, a, like a domino effect, right? It started growing and growing because I felt that it worked. And so I started getting more curious. I started more being more open-minded and more willing just to receive all this information, content. So I was, you know, I, 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 I attended or participated was a fellow in OA um, and attended the meetings and followed like these the principle and the, the steps of the program right like 12 programs it's like a 12-step program like aa um and and 
it, my recovery is, I can say that my recovery is thanks to OA and the work that I did in therapy. I'm not saying that this is the, the only way to find recovery or that this is the only way, uh, the only journey, that's like, like valid journey, let's say. I'm just saying, I'm just talking about the things that helped me, right? In back then, back then, right? Uh, because now I, find, I have found other tools, but back then it was OA, therapy, meditation, right? And with all of these things, consistency i had to be very consistent like this is this was something that i was doing on a daily basis i was reading i was journaling uh, someone told me about an event a retreat i would go to that my life was committed to find recovery so this 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 is to highlight sort of like the importance of of dedicating time of prioritizing uh, recovery um and i talk about recovery and some people you know, think about recovery from like addictions or like very serious things. But um, you can also talk about just like improving your relationship with food. You have to find, this is something you care about. You need to find space in your life and be curious and open-minded to try different approaches. Uh, so let's say that back then, those were the tools that like helped me get out of the dark hole, right? And a lot also of... Um, I'm not gonna go into detailing that in, in this, but on this, but it was more like a lot of internal work in meaning like, who do I have to forgive? Do I have to forgive myself? Like letting go of resentment and going back in time and sort of like healing wounds, let's say, that also helped. So as you see, there are like different, I cannot say it's one, only one ingredient, but like the interaction of these different ingredients. And of course, above all the willingness to do the work. Yeah. Oh boy. I have so <laughs> much to say, but I love what you said about recovery and that it really doesn't have to be for something super serious. It could mm -hmm. be just for simply improving your relationship with food or something that came to my mind was like recovering from anxiety and, you know, just letting your emotions take over. So I'm so happy that you brought that up. We actually haven't talked about that on the podcast before and we're nearly 50 episodes in. <laughs> so thank you so much for sharing that. So I know you mentioned that your therapist and and OA and meditation were three things that really helped you. But you've collected more and more tools along the way. And you obviously use those tools in your life or you have to overcome your eating disorder. But also now you're helping women. So can we talk about some of those tools that you've accumulated over the years and maybe some of the ones that really stand out to you that you think are really important for our listeners to hear today? Yeah, so um, maybe I, let me I'll let, just one second. I will go back to the idea about recovery from anything, and it can also be you can apply sort of like the same path, the same method of surrendering acceptance to you know body dissatisfaction, right? Uh, some sometimes your issues may be 
some people struggle more with body dissatisfaction than with food itself of course, of, of course they are super interconnected but you can also apply the same path to body dissatisfaction like basically recovery from hating myself or hating my body right so you can apply that to everything so um, before we move on then <laughs> I would like you to go into a little bit more depth about that connection for yourself because I know for you that controlling eating disorder behavior all really stemmed from having body dissatisfaction, right? Because you wanted to eat food, but like you said earlier, you couldn't control how your body really responded to that. So for your journey, your body image and your body image issues were definitely part of that. So once you began treatment and recovery, how did your relationship with your body kind of, you know, play into that? Yeah, so that one is important because I I would say that as anything in life, it's an interaction of factors, right? And, And it can be, you know, genetic predisposition and my environment, society, it's a combination of factors. So one, of course, was body dissatisfaction because let's say I didn't have the ideal body type in Colombia, like the tiny waist, the heat. So in my head, I was not a woman, as simple as that, because I, I didn't have boobs, tiny waist, hips, right? So in my, in my that's, I was not feminine, let's say. Uh, so that one was factor, sort of like the society one. And but the other one is that I have a, I have well, it's it's improved, I promise. <laughs> but a very controlling uh, personality, perfectionistic, uh, right? Perfectionist. Uh, so all these things may it's like a like a like a recipe for disaster, right? They all combine. Very controlling, very black or white very strict and very disciplined, and it's right. And of course, religion also has an impact on that. Right, I, I I grew up uh, Catholic, and but my idea of Catholicism was like anything that you accomplish in life has to hurt a little bit. If it doesn't hurt, then it doesn't have merit, and that's very connected to religion. So as you see, there was like a, a lot of things that it was like, oh, they gave, gave they gave birth to bulimia and Lena or something like that, right? And and the, the body to respond to your question about body dissatisfaction. Whenever I work in the in all the work that I did until I found recovery, body was not very strong. It was not like a how do I say, like an issue that I ironically, right? It was born of that, but it was not an issue that I worked very strongly with my therapist, for example. Right. And I think it was, and now I realize it's because that those ideas that I had a tendency to be fat, that I was ugly and unworthy. I discovered that those things, or I started to believe that those weren't true. Right. So let, let, let's say, and, and this is where I think I need to accept, I, I, I don't love this word, but I have to admit the privilege, right? Because I don't have a body that is usually rejected by society right so let's say that for me it was easier right like the body that I naturally got like my set point to use Linda Bacon's uh, you know words my set point is not what society rejects so let's say that for me that was easier I'm just saying all of this talking about all of these allows me to jump back to the question that we wanted to answer and our next topic 
and it's all of these different approaches that I started discovering after I started this, doing this full time and, you know, working with women and it's healthy at every side. It's one of those things, right? I was never my therapist or, you know, a, et cetera, the, the, the idea of body satisfaction, body acceptance, fat acceptance, that was not included. I, I, I didn't recover with those ideas in mind. That's something that I discovered afterwards and that I think that, I mean, they are brilliant ideas. And, and, and actually when I read the books and I get more educated and I learn, I look into my own experience and I was like, well, all of these things that have a name on these books or like have a title, they happen to me. They actually happen to me, right? But I wasn't doing them based on those methodologies. So healthy at every size is one of those. And the other one is intuitive eating, right? Um, again, I, I, my recovery was not based on these ideas, but if I look back in, into what I did and the work that I did, in practice, I was sort of like applying these principles, which proves that they are right, that they work and they are effective. Um, and other approaches, of course, I have deepened more my, my, my knowledge and education in meditation and mindfulness practices. And I love and fascinated by what happens in the brain when we meditate and, I have, and all of these things are just incredible. So let's say that oh, those are other things that, I, that, are, that now inform the work that I do with women. Um, so it's like a melting pot. <laughs> Basically, my style now currently it's a melting pot of what I learned in OA. Very key ideas from OA, uh, from Buddhism. I'm not a Buddhist and I'm, I'm not an expert in Buddhism, but from Buddhism, meditation, healthy at every size, intuitive eating. I take a little bit from one of those, sort of I create my, my own approach. Um, what makes sense to me, right? So just that's to answer your question of what these, these other things that I discovered after I found recovery uh, that explain my recovery without, you know, being aware of it, that it was what I was applying and I informed the world that I do with women. Yeah. Yeah. So we have chatted a little bit about health at every size on the show. And in recent episodes, we've been chatting a little bit more and more about intuitive eating and just um, how it's marketed now within the media, but kind of getting clear on what intuitive eating actually is and how I've been applying it to my life. So I would just be interested to chat about that with you because I know my listeners love when I was sharing my take on intuitive eating and I would really love to hear how eating intuitively shows up in your life. Yeah, I agree with you that unfortunately it's now used very loosely Right. And inevitably, people misunderstand the idea of like, oh, I'll just eat whatever I want because then I'm allowed. Right. Um, and, and you can fall back into that diet mentality trap. And it's easy. It's easy. But that's just what media does. Right. So that's why it's your own duty to just like deep in into the concept. But for me, it all comes down to awareness. Um, and I, I, everything comes down to awareness. Because I and, I, and this is inevitably one of the results of meditation or slowing down or making an effort to be more mindful, whatever you want to call it. 
your your the your let's say your awareness expands it broadens and for me when it broadens you're able to go more slowly in life and that's why whenever I, you feel for example the impulse or the craving to eat or to maybe call your your body names in front of the mirror right that space between the the impulse to do that and the actual act of doing it gets larger gets longer right so you have more space to sort of like make wiser choices you can make the choice of okay i'll still binge on ice cream but i also have this choice of not doing it and for me intuitive eating it's it's about that it's about gaining the awareness of what is good for me right now why do i want to eat is it because i'm stressed because i got you know i got back from back from war without of a, of a stressful day or is it because i'm really hungry and you can make the choice of still eat popcorn because you're stressed from work sometimes that's not necessarily bad right but for me it's the awareness and the consciousness of doing it with the the consciousness that you have that freedom to choose and it all comes down from aware to awareness and freedom of choice to choose not only what you are doing, but also the outcome. Am I going to eat a pint of ice cream and a pizza while I'm watching TV? And I'm going to feel sluggish, heavy, my digestion will be a mess tomorrow? You can do that, yes. But you're also free to choose the other alternative, which is not doing it for self-care because you know what the outcome is. So you choose the food and also the outcome. Right, so intuitive eating is more like uh, this, for me, it's more like this idea of philosophy of being aware of everything that you do when it comes in, in relation to food and your body. Um, and that's where I think it's the freedom, right? The, when we talk about food freedom, it's in that little pause, what I call it the miracle pause. It's that pause before you go get the cookies. Like, do I want to do this? That's where the freedom is, when you have a choice. Because when we are, you know, have obsessions about food and we, we binge it every night, we feel like we are in auto mode. There's no choice, basically. There's like stress, come back to work, binge. Now, when you work with all these methods and put the effort in it, then you have a choice. And that's, for me, it's where intuitive it is, intuitive eating is. I don't know if I've included too many elements and it's unclear, but to wrap up, it's just like awareness, freedom of choice, and a choice of the food and the outcome or what the eating behavior and the outcome. That's absolutely great. And I'm so happy I asked you that because your answer was awesome. One of the things that I've been chatting about, as I mentioned, you know, intuitive eating has come up um, on several of the recent episodes lately. And I feel and I really love that you brought up the fact that a lot of women can get caught up in intuitive eating and again, just treat it like another diet. So I am so happy that you were talking about awareness because one of the issues that I see with intuitive eating is the fact that an individual might not bring awareness to all of the aspects of their life. They simply just bring awareness to, am I hungry or am I full? You know, like, do I need to eat or do I not? And intuitive eating is so much more than just simply 
eating when you're hungry and not eating when you're not hungry, right? There's just so much more to it. So yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I absolutely love that explanation. So um, with the women that you work with, do they struggle with something specific? You know, is there something that you see time and time again with the women that you work with in regards to healing their relationship with food? Yeah, most of them, you know, yeah, most of them, the majority of them, the, the issue is binge and wanting to control a specific behavior that is very rooted, right? It's, it's, it's sort of like a habit, right? A lot of them, I mean, in DC, we have a lot of young professionals, ambitious women uh, who are overachievers. They want a great career. Uh, but the thing is that I, sometimes that in, in requires a lot of sacrifice and it's very stressful and, and, that I don't want to say necessarily, but often impacts your health. So, so you are making serious sacrifices if you want that type of careers. And there's a lot of pressure, etc. So it becomes harder to take care of yourself. Right? So I find that a lot. So it's binge eating, a lot of alcohol. There's a lot of happy hours. I don't know where it, how it is in in the city where you you know live in Canada, but there's a lot of happy hours and there's a lot of things going on around alcohol. And there's these now I rely, I eat, drink wine to relax and wine because I'm happy and wine. And I'm not, I drink wine. I'm not going to say that I am against alcohol, but it's all of these different sort of like this, this, this environment that it's not conducive to mental health, physical health. And of course it becomes very challenging to have a grip on your health and your habits when you are surrounded by all of these, let's say, um, not temptations, but just like triggering stressors, etc. Um, so that's, that's definitely one of those. And I also, I also find that a common denominator is this need. And because I also saw it in myself, right? This need to control life these to to control every aspect of our life and um, like a dissatisfaction with life and and i don't want this i want listeners to 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 listen to this very carefully because i i am including myself and this is something that i realized when i was uh dealing with food because these issues are not exclusively about the food it's more about how we live life Right. Um, and it's the fact that we women usually who have issues around food are like little girls. Right. And we like uh, we don't do this unconscious. We are powerful and we are successful and we are smart. But in these issues, we are we want sort of like someone to protect us. And we, we play the role of little girls and who want the world to be like we wanted it to be. So it's this sort of like resistance to to life, to how life, life in life turns, let's say, right? And I think that that dissatisfaction with life overall, of how what my boss said to me, and like, and I'm I'm not fulfilled at work, or I'm not successful enough, and I'm and this and this syndrome of not enoughism, <laughs> right? That is something that's also a common denominator. And this, for me, just shows me that the issues around food aren't about the food, 
right? They, they just like, I mean, Janine Roth writes extensively about this, and I love Janine Roth, how when she says that sort of like your plate and where you eat is sort of like a picture or like a snapshot of your life, your values, what you believe in. Um, so, so that's something that's very clear for me in the work that I do with women. Um, but in terms of, of the issues that we work on, it's definitely binge eating and overeating. It's definitely that. And, and wanting to gain, again, control over what you eat. Yeah. So I know the control thing is definitely a huge one. So how do you go about helping those women who are so fixated on having control? Because I know, I'm sure both you and I can relate to feeling that urge of just needing to have control. So then we turn to food to control <laughs> yeah so i i keep talking about awareness but i just think that's like a superpower if you're able to develop that it's a superpower the first step for me it's definitely of course i said surrendering but then after that you have to recognize and sort of like identify what are those things rooted beliefs ideas that are determining the way you behave Right, and it can be your mom, how you were raised, how you were educated, uh, your religion. It can be, you know, society, the diet, mentality, etc. So you have to identify and become more aware of in which behaviors, in which uh, words that I use, uh, in which thoughts that I have, uh, in which ones of my reactions is are those um, uh, are being informed by all of these beliefs. Because when you sort of like recognize something, it kind of loses its power and you, you see it face to face. And then it sort of like loses its, its power. That's when, that's why, for example, you start working on awareness of the diet mentality. Like, what are the rules that you have around food? Where do these come from, right? How about we challenge some of those rules, right? So that's sort of like a an, an next step. And once you sort of like debunk or weaken, because it's, it's, I w- it's very hard to debunk them entirely, but weaken those beliefs and rooted beliefs and ideas of what I'm supposed to be like, supposed to look like. Once you weaken those, it is much easier to replace them. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where the curiosity and looking for alternative, let's say, paradigms comes in. Uh, so there is not only awareness and, try- and challenging behaviors, but then also how do I replace them? And so like, recreating your value system how do you what do you think beauty is uh, are you do you really think that you are your body do you really think that you are your chunky legs or are you more than that right so there's that's the, the, the work of, of body acceptance but then there's also the work uh, around creating the miracle pause which is i love it because that is the one when you make an effort to in the, to catch yourself in the moment that you you find that impulse, you you feel the impulse to go binge. You know that you're coming back from work, and you know that the first thing you do is go to the fridge, you know, and get everything that's in the fridge and sit down in front of the TV, or sometimes not even sit. Can you make an effort to catch yourself before and ask yourself ask yourself a few questions? Why am I doing this? Am I hungry? What is, what is it that I really need? 
because if I'm stressed, was it because I wasn't recognized at work, because I'm not fulfilled, because I was, I was expecting that promotion, I have fear of financial instability, right? There are so many things that could be, uh, you could be in need of that food won't satisfy, right? So the food only satisfies when you're hungry, but if you need love, companion, com I'm sorry, company, uh, then food probably won't do the trick. Right. And um, so, so, and that's the miracle pause that you, when you achieve that miracle pause, when you're allowed to be more aware of that, that's, that's when freedom, you're free from the food obsession. That's when you, we're talking about like progress. Um, and an important note is that that doesn't mean that it won't happen again. Right. It means that you have the tools to react and to, or, or to not be reactive, to be more proactive and to decide and choose what you want to do. Uh, sometimes I still overeat and I'm like, or whenever I feel sort of like, why do I want uh, that cookie that's in the pantry right now? And I'm like, oh, of course, it's because of this. And it happens in seconds. It's like you train the brain to, in awareness, to make better choices. Um, so that's sort of like the, the process sort of like the path that you that I follow with my clients. And to close, because I do think it's important, nutrition education or, or like in, in nutrition information, right? Once, let's say, we clean your, your brain from crazy ideas, then you're ready to absorb that information in the right way. In the, okay, I'm going to nourish myself, not in the, oh, great, I have more rules to follow that will allow me to lose weight or manage my way, right? Does yeah. that make sense? Oh, yes, it's making sense. And just as I'm listening to you, I'm just kind of giggling to myself because it's just like so obvious as to why Kara put us in touch because I just, <laughs> I love everything that you're saying. And I do have two questions. So I will ask this one first because you just kind of finished up on this note, but you kind of talked about, um, you know, in regards to healing your relationship with food, it almost sounds like you believe that there should be this little bit of a phase or a period of time of really letting go of all of that maybe like garbage in your head about diet culture and, and you know all of the wrong thoughts you have about food and then once you kind of heal healed that relationship then yeah. you can actually start learning about proper nutrition right yeah yeah so yeah let's talk about that a little bit more because i think one of the dangers of recovering is an individual might go from you know our rock bottoms or their rock bottom to just skipping that phase of really letting go and surrendering and just hopping over to learning nutrition and really focusing on nutrition. So I would like to hear you talk a little bit more about that phase in between that an individual goes through in order to really and truly recover, in my opinion. Yeah, it takes time, of course. This is a process that takes a lot of time. Uh, or not, I mean, it takes time. 
uh, and uh, and the person has to be ready. Otherwise, it becomes exactly like a source of more rules and guidelines to follow. Um, but I, I am convinced that you cannot talk about those separately because I lived through that in my own recovery. I it was I started getting more curious about food and cooking my own food and going to the farmers market. And not that everyone has to go to the farmers market and buy organic, no. But that was my way of getting in touch with my food and learning more about what I was putting into my body. Um, because it is not a lie that if you eat, you know, like donuts for breakfast, pizza for lunch, and pizza for dinner, eventually, I mean, your body will respond well, right? Um, and, and and let's say that's that's something. These these words that I just pronounced, depending on which lens you have, they can be rejected. Sometimes, like oh, she's talking about food, then she's pro diet, and and she's demonizing these foods. I'm not demonizing them. Everyone knows what's good for them, right? So so again, going back to my experience, it was important for me to learn about food, right? Okay, because I recover, but then now what? Right? Shall I keep having this sugary cereal for breakfast? Uh, I can if I if I want to. But but do I know, and this is where the intuitive eating and knowledge knowledge of yourself comes in, does it make me feel good? No, it doesn't. Right? Now I prefer pure oatmeal with nothing else in it. And I want peanut butter. Yes, I love and eat tons of peanut butter, but I don't want the brand that has sugar and palm oil in it because I know it doesn't make me feel good. Not because tomorrow I'll be one pound heavier, but because it makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make me feel good. So I, I think it is, it, it's, it's important uh, because it informs your decisions and may, allows you to make wiser choices. Uh, I've seen good results in my clients and we go grocery shopping together at the end of the program and they learn new things, they get curious about food, right? And they start adding them. But because the underlying, let's say, mentality is has healed, right? Without the underlying mentality being healed, that information is like a knife, right? With, you can do anything with a knife. Chop onions or go, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Your neighborhood, neighbor's tires, <laughs> car tires you can do whatever it's the same thing with food nutrition information you can use it to heal yourself or to make your life unmanageable and crazy again I love that so much it makes so much sense yeah you can do it's yeah it's like a knife or a weapon whatever you want to go with (laughs) it can be something that allows you to take care of yourself or destroy yourself essentially right and there are no unique rules for everyone. Mm-hmm. You have, and that, that's when an intuitive thing comes in. It's like, do I, do I recognize how this makes me feel? If I eat five slices of pizza and I have to make a presentation tomorrow, how do I feel tomorrow? No, I think I want something lighter because I'm more sharp tomorrow for my presentation. That's my own case. I love pizza. But then sometimes I'm like, okay, maybe I shouldn't eat it every day because, right? I make choices for myself, not for others or to, to for a number on the scale. Mm-hmm. So it's all about the motivation and the energy with which you approach the information. Yeah. And it's all about that. How true is that? So 
One more question about what we've been chatting about is awareness. You called it a superpower and I fully agree with that. I lead a course called Unbreakable Babe and the very first thing we talk about is awareness because I think that is the first thing that will support someone through recovery and everyday life. It is truly a superpower. So can you share with us more about meditation and harnessing that awareness? Because I know this is something so many women truly do struggle with. It is a difficult thing to begin. It takes practice and it takes consistency. But can you share with us maybe some starting points for someone that wants to start off um, harnessing that amazing superpower of awareness? Yeah. So, yes, awareness is the inevitable result of a consistent meditation practice. Um. I think the most important thing is to demystify meditation and simplify it and make it more accessible for people. Uh, because we have these, again, just as we have preconceptions of, of what intuitive eating is, misconceptions, we have misconceptions and generalized ideas of meditation. And it's like, do I have to shave my head and wear this orange robe, right? And sleep for hours and not think about anything. Everyone, whatever I do, because I also work with companies and do workshops around meditation, and I ask them, what ideas do you have about meditation? It's like, well, it's just like nothing about every anything. And I cannot do it because I have a monkey mind or I, I, I have a busy mind, so I, I can don't meditate because of that. And that is the first need that needs to be debunked because it's actually the opposite. It's actually a, changing the relationship you have with your thoughts, right? It's not about controlling the thoughts. It's sort of like step, like sitting back and looking at like let's say observing your thoughts pass by i in what i forget what podcast i heard this a guy the other day talking about it's like a train station right you're in a train station and trains come in and come out like they, they arrive they leave but you don't get in any of the trains it's the same thing you don't find the trains you don't find your thoughts you're just like observing them come in and, and come out right in the same way when you see that's let's say that's the basics you see eyes closed start focusing on your breath and you start thinking what am I gonna make for lunch or oh I haven't replied to that email don't fight the thoughts simply okay I come back to my anchor which is the breath let's say that's the basics in the same way that you don't grasp you don't you don't get involved you don't right you don't reach for them you just like see them like watch them pass by you and come back to your anchor that's the exercise of meditation it's not having a white mind mm-hmm. and there's no fixed destination in meditation there's no script and there are no good or bad meditations and i was going to quote someone whose name i don't remember but that person said that the the bad the worst meditation is the one that you don't do <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. the only one that's bad i love that yeah and so it starts small it doesn't have to be 20 minutes a day or 40 minutes a day it starts small do it five anyone and have, if you don't have five minutes today, I mean, you don't have a life, right? Just five minutes. Sit down and breathe. Or two, two minutes. 
sit down and breathe and breathe. Eyes closed. When a thought arises, come back. Arise, thought, come back. Thought, come back. It's like training a puppy, right? Like they keep peeing on the rug. They, you train them. Don't do it in the rug. We'll go out to the park. The same thing happens with the mind. And eventually you tame or train the mind. Uh, so I hope that sort of like simplifies the practice a little bit and demystifies the practice. Uh, and you will be surprised of the, the effects that it has. People will also notice of the effects that it has on the awareness. And, and for me, that is what, that's the result of the, um, another result, the miracle pause, it's the result of that awareness. I, I don't get tired of the miracle pause because I think that's where everything is, the freedom is found. Um, and, you know, there are many centers and, and apps you can get started with, um, but the basics, if you want to start, just like all you need is a chair, the willingness, five minutes of your schedule and your breath, it's free. Right? It's yeah. not like you cannot forget your breath, your breath at home. It's like, oh no, I forgot my no. You have it with you all the time. So sit down and breathe and don't fight it. In the same way, I like making the analogy of you know that first step that I was talking about, about surrendering and accepting that you have an issue around food. That is also what you do with thoughts. You surrender and accept that you have thoughts, and that's what your mind does. It's like when you're falling asleep. And you're like, I need to fall asleep. I need to fall asleep. You don't fall asleep. But the moment you start, stop fighting, then you fall asleep. It's the same thing. The moment you stop fighting the thoughts, then you don't have as many thoughts. The moment you start fighting with food, then the food loses its attractiveness. Yeah. Yeah. That's 100% accurate. Thank you so much for sharing everything that you have shared with us today. I could honestly keep chatting with you forever. I've had so much fun and I truly have just thoroughly enjoyed listening to you. So one final question that I ask all of my guests is, what does it mean to you to be unbreakable? Mm. Unbreakable, me, like for me, it means accepting that I am breakable, that I can break, but, but being also compassionate enough to work on building the tools that will prepare me for when I break, right? That is being unbreakable. Awesome. Yeah. And Lena, where can our listeners find you? Because I know people are going to want more of you. That's great. So you can find me on my website. It's livewellway.com. And on Instagram, I am live.well.way. Awesome. I will have those links hooked up for you and everyone listening in the show notes. Great. Meg, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, sweetheart. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye.